0: again, everyone. Before I begin the sermon, I want to tell you that my wife and I had a very lovely trip out to Oregon and down to California. Was able to visit both of my sisters, uh, Dottie Matson, who lives up in Bend, Oregon. And later when we went down to Pasadena to see my sister Beverly, Mrs. Beverly Gott, who had undergone an operation for cancer about, oh, four or five months ago, we were out there. Uh, we were able to spend a good deal of time with her she is sort of barely holding her own she'd been in the hospital for about ten days or so before we got there and had about four or five blood transfusions she's on this chemotherapy and you've heard of that we have letters coming into us all the time about people who are terminal with cancer and who are on chemotherapy and all that it does to them it destroys the platelets and causes all your hair to fall out she took off the little bandana she was wearing, and it was shocking to see my sister bald. Uh, She's wearing a wig. Uh, She is just about one year short of the age my mother was when she died. She's about 74. My sisters are 12 years and 10 years, respectively, older than I, and we are the last members of the Armstrong, immediate Armstrong family, except, of course, for all of their children and mine. So it was a very nice visit out there. We had a special church service at Pasadena, where we had 181 people in attendance, and then we were able to enjoy the Rose Parade. How many of you saw that on television? Did you see the Rose Parade? Remember when it swung across and saw the apartments across the street in the window and people leaning out the balcony? We were right there behind that window. I'm just kidding. We really were, though. It's right there where the uh, cameras are. And the parade, of course, goes along Ambassador College campus. And when I was the president of that college, and before that the executive vice president of the church, uh, we were the single largest property owner along the entirety of the parade route. And some of those stands were put on college property. There was a man who had that concession, and he would pay the college a certain amount of money to be able to build stands to seat thousands of people on Ambassador College property, and then he would build a small stand for our own people right there on the the grounds of what became the L.D. Armstrong uh, Academic Center, named after my mother. And when I'm walking by there I can look up and see some familiar faces in the stands that used to be either students or faculty members of the college, so it's always very interesting to be out there. run across some very old friends I hadn't seen in a long time, George Geis and Penny and a number of others, and to be able to enjoy the visit with Dave and Molly Antion, my wife's sister and brother-in-law, as I say, my sister Beverly is holding her own, but she would appreciate, I'm sure, me mentioning that she can use all the prayer she can get as well. There are a lot of people who can, and that brings me to what I want to talk about. Probably the last person who would raise his hand if I asked this question in this audience today is Mr. Wid Boyce, who just delivered that prayer. If I were to ask this question, crowd that is not used to being responsive because we're not a group of people who are Pentecostal, we're not accustomed to getting a point of contact or raising our hands or give me an amen, we're not responsive in that sense. So if I said how many of you think that prayer got through all the way to heaven? Everybody's going to sit there and listen for a minute. Not me. I'm not going to raise my hand. Well, if you were a responsive crowd and because you know prayers do get through to heaven, probably every hand would go up but Mr. Wid Boyce and he would be saying, I sure hope so. I want to talk to you about the presumption of prayer. How presumptuous is it to believe that a few moments ago, before Larry got up here for the announcements, God was listening to sounds emanating from this microphone. Is that presumptuous? When I'm in our prayer breakfast, I notice that from time to time over the years as we've gone over all of these letters, and some of them are truly heart-rending, I imagine some of those letters, if you were to have a forensic scientist investigate them, you could determine that human tears have been spilled on the paper and some of the most heart-rending situations you can begin to imagine if you've heard about it in news or television if you've heard about runaways or rape or sodomy in prison if you've heard about murder if you've heard about a mother killing her own daughter if you've heard about uh, as i say terminal diseases of every conceivable kind if you've heard about elderly women being mugged and knocked down in streets we read it sooner or later in one of those letters when people are calling or writing and asking us to get on our knees as a group of ministers in that boardroom, and to pray over their letters. I've had to think from time to time as we finally finish the last letter, and I recall that at one point in time, somebody reached up and got another cup of coffee, and there's a little sound, you know, and the little carafe is filling a coffee cup, and somebody else looks over, and momentarily their attention is distracted while somebody else is sitting over there and droning on about Joe Dokes in Poughkeepsie, and maybe at that moment one or two out of that six or seven ministers missed that name and didn't quite hear that exact part of it without realizing it right now at this moment if someone were to walk from that door to that door every word I just said would be lost most of you wouldn't have gotten it you'd be walking across the stage wondering What was that all about? But you would have missed what Garner Ted just said to you. So we know that that is true. Something can come along and break your attention. And it can cause you to to miss something that was said. Are we then to assume that only a five-seventh prayer went up on that one particular request because maybe that one particular letter didn't get the full attention of everybody? How do we deal with this? If you'll turn to the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 6, the book of... Matthew, I've had occasion recently to put this on the telecast and to expound it because of what you see on television involving public prayer. And I answered not only that Diane Sawyer primetime live claims about Texas evangelists, talked to that subject, didn't answer it, but also the question people have asked me, why don't you pray in public on television? in verse one jesus said take heed you do not your alms that means your righteous good deeds before men to be seen of them otherwise you have no reward of your father which is in heaven therefore when you do your righteous good deeds your generous christian deeds do not sound the trumpet before you as the hypoc- hypocrites do and they literally did this there was a little man that would go along with the trumpet and make a blast on it so they could see someone uh, doing something like giving money into the treasury that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when you do your righteous good deeds, then there's a metaphor, let not your left hand know what your right hand does. Well, your left hand doesn't know anything, and your right hand doesn't know anything. They don't have any brains, but it's merely a metaphor that you do it in secret. You're not trying to get attention. You're not trying to get glory or fame. You're not trying to get somebody to say, look how righteous they are. You keep it hidden. You keep it secret. That your righteous good deeds may be in secret, and your Father which sees in secret himself shall reward you openly. And when you pray, you shall not be as the hypocrites are. Now what is God's definition of a prayerful hypocrite? For they love to pray standing in the synagogue, standing in the churches, and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. There is something that is uniquely charming, engaging, and enduring. I don't think from the day that we have begun meeting, first of all over in the very first Sabbath in the women's club and then in the little building out there called the Cedars of Lebanon a Hall and other places around town, that I have ever heard someone get up in the pulpit and deliver a pompous, vain, conceited, long-winded prayer. Most of our brethren and members are soft-spoken people. Few of them are public speakers. Most of them, of course, are humble people. And they tend to be a little fearful when called upon for prayer. And then when they get up in front of people, they tend to choke up and sometimes display their nervousness. That's why I say that is an endearing quality would that we were all a little more that way when we pray to God instead of realizing oh, this prayer is going to be heard by some men and women but you when you pray enter into your closet and when you have shut your door pray to your father which is in secret and your father which sees in secret shall reward you openly but when you pray Use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not you, therefore, like unto them, for your Father knows what things you have need of before you ask Him. Now notice how the so-called Lord's Prayer, which it is not, it is an outline Jesus gave of how we ought to pray. It is not His prayer, but it's an outline He gave to us. His prayer is found in John 14 through 17, where He went out and prayed in agony before his father to remove the cup of the terrible crucifixion that was impending and to work it out some other way. Notice then that in the beginning, as you look at the context of this scripture, he says don't use vain repetition, and at the very end of it, he talks very much about the same thing when he talks about not appearing unto men to fast. And what has the world done, which is the subject of my book, The Answered Unanswered Prayer. They have taken this outline of prayer, turned it into a religious fetish or talisman, and repeated it endlessly throughout practically all religions that are so-called Christian. How many movies have you seen where the incoming artillery shells are landing around and the movie will show a bunch of guys in a dugout or a bunker and they will say, let us pray, and they'll say, our Father which art in heaven, and a couple other voices join in, hallowed be thy name. How many times has Hollywood Resorted to that theme. How many church services are there every Sunday where the repetition of this outline of prayer is a part of their services? It is time now for the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which are immediately people get on the cadence, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Do not use vain repetition. And every Sunday they vainly repeat it by the tens of thousands of times. Are there impediments to prayer? Are there blocks to prayer? Are there things that can get between a prayer and the communication that is supposed to be flowing from us to God and cause it to sort of fall short and drop right back down to earth or not make it through the ceiling or bounce off the clouds or simply not get to heaven where it's intended to go? He gives this outline of prayer which we know by heart so I won't read it all because we already know it by heart. That's what they did to us as kids growing up in a Christian society. They made sure if there was any part of the Bible we were going to learn by heart, it's the very part Jesus said don't repeat vainly and endlessly over and over again. Just after the final statement of this prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, and after he had said, forgive us our debts, or as one version has it, our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, he says this in verse 14, for If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Therefore, the outline for prayer is useless to us if we enter that prayer with any kind of a grudge, any kind of hatred, any kind of a spirit of lack of forgiveness toward any other human being on the earth. That is the surest blockage to prayer to make sure your prayer will not be heard, isn't it? And Christ said so immediately after the outline of the way to pray. If you don't forgive, if you're not forgiving, God hasn't forgiven you. And God heareth not sinners. Now, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And when we call out to God and when we seek Him, seek ye the eternal while He may be found, etc. And as the Apostle Paul said, if haply we might be found of him though he is not very far from any of us for in him we live and move and have our being yet a sinner in sin with hatred with animosity with unforgiveness in his heart toward a human being will simply not be heard of god moreover when you fast be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance for they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast verily i say unto you they have their reward. There are people in this society who have their reward. I'm sure it's fun for some of these televangelists to crinkle up their face into all sorts of contorted uh, faces and grimaces and pretend to be praying to God when in fact they are merely acting for cameramen. And whatever reward they get, whatever pleasure a momentary vanity, whatever little thrill or goosebumps go running through their body, that's it. When it's over, they've had it. That's their reward. The prayer didn't go as far as the television studio ceiling. It never got out of the building. It certainly never went to God. It did, though, get bounced on line of sight off a lot of towers around the country and go into people's homes, and people see it, and people think God was listening. But this part of some of the most essential, fundamental, elementary teaching of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the Sermon on the Mount. The very focal point of all of Christianity says God doesn't hear that. Isn't that amazing when you stop to think about that and just ponder it for a minute, that all these huge, big, vaulted, uh, vaunted, lofty cathedrals with their big, giant steeples and organ pipes and choirs and stained glass windows and multiple millions of members don't know what we just read. And any child can understand that those prayers just don't go up to heaven at all, and that all of this ceremonial repetition of the Lord's Prayer is just a vain exercise. Now, let's turn to the 18th chapter of the book of Luke and see what Jesus said about prayer. Luke 18, where Jesus said that men ought always to pray and never to quit, never to faint. He spoke a parable to that end, for that purpose, that men ought always to pray and not to faint, not to quit, not to cease, to grow tired or weary of prayer, saying There was in a city a judge that feared not God, neither regarded man. There are a lot of people like that that don't fear God. They should. If they had a brain in their head, they would but they pretend not to because they've never met him yet. They've never heard his voice. They've never seen his power. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while. Now this is the famous parable of the unrighteous judge. But afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Now God cannot be wearied. And a widow lady over here whispering in a closet or crying or praying is not going to really bother God or trouble God. He's giving a purely earthly, mundane example to illustrate a point. It's a parable, not a fact about the way God listens to widows' prayers. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge says. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him? though he bear long with them? I know of people who have prayed for literally years for the same thing. And the answer apparently has been either no, or not yet, or not in this life. That was true when my brother Dick died in 1958. It was true when my mother died in 1967. It has been true of my two sons who are deaf and for whom we prayed and fasted and asked the church to pray and fast, and for whom hundreds of people prayed over a period of literally many years, I am sure. And they are still deaf. Shall not God avenge his own elect, which cried day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith on the earth?" What an incredible indictment. Now, I ask the question the way I did for that very purpose. The presumption of prayer. Do we presume that when we are sitting in a boardroom and we've got all those letters there and we're reading these names, and if my attention should wander when Mr. Dart reads a name or his wander when I read a name out of the maybe 120 or whatever we happen to have on that particular day, does that in some way impede? The process that causes God to know and to understand exactly which one of these people is asking for which wonderful event in their life, whether a job or healing or to be let out of prison or to be perhaps still alive as a result of a terrible uh, life-threatening operation. At the conclusion of the last letter, and we all have an equal stack, and we read our letters, and then when I'm through with my stack, it's the time for Ron to read his, and on and on we go until it comes around the table, and the last letter is read. We then say, whose turn is it? And sometimes we forget, perhaps, from week to week. Oh, I think it is mine, or I believe it's Larry's. It was Larry's this last uh, Friday, yesterday morning. And then we will all get out of our chairs, and we get on our knees, and one of our number will begin as christ does and address god our father in heaven Jean, who was sitting outside the door typing away her typewriter cannot hear the people going by south broadway outside of that building cannot hear the people in all the other offices in that building cannot hear you can't hear the people who wrote in the letter can't hear what is this presumption of prayer that says we believe god Here's think about it. Maybe it will awaken something in our minds to realize what we're really talking about. Let me, in order to illustrate this point, when he says men ought always to pray and not to faint, turn to Luke twenty-one and verse thirty-six. This is a famous scripture for a lot of us. Watch ye therefore, and pray always that you might be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass. And to stand before the Son of Man. Now, turning to the 22nd chapter of the book of Luke and beginning in verse 40. Here's the time when he was just about to be crucified, and his disciples and he were at the Mount of Olives. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, verse 40 of Luke 22, Pray that you enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, about as far as you could throw a good sized rock. And he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you be willing remove this cup from me nevertheless not my will but thine be done and he was praying in an agony he was praying in apprehension he was praying in a sense of deep dread and of awful expectancy of what was going to happen to him even as much as any of you would if you'd been put in jail and you heard the jailer coming to take you down the last 13 steps to the gas chamber. Your heart would really be in it. And his heart was really in it. And he was praying so hard, there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. Perhaps it appeared as another human being, in shimmering white, who stood beside him. Maybe the angel was either Michael or Gabriel or some other angel. And maybe he said something to him. Maybe he put an arm around him, but he was there in that garden, and in some way, either by word, by gesture, by holding him, by saying something to him, he strengthened him. Certainly the appearance of an angel in the middle of your prayer would to us frighten us out of our wits first, but secondly, be probably one of the most gloriously wonderful things that had ever happened to us in our entire lives, wouldn't it, to actually know And probably it would shock a lot of us, because in a day-to-day, mundane, humdrum, week-in, week-out, Sabbath, holy days, and feast existence of a member of God's church, I am sure that sometimes, without really intending to, we go through a prayer rather routinely, rather repetitively, and rather as a ceremony, rather than as this electrical moment, this incredible moment, this presumptuous moment, in which we say I'm talking directly to God the Father in heaven above so the angel strengthened him and being in an agony he prayed more earnestly and his sweat were as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground have you ever prayed so that your entire muscles were just like they call dynamic tension where every muscle was absolutely tense and you were praying so that The blood was rushing through your body a lot faster, and your heart was pounding. You literally began to perspire and to sweat so that it would just drip, drip, drip on a steady cascade of perspiration down to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer, and his garments and inner garments had to be drenched by this time, and he was wiping at the sweat, and he was probably trembling and weak from the effort, he came back to find his disciples sleeping. You know how it is when you're sad, you're apprehensive, sometimes you yawn, and it makes you sleepy? Sometimes in a crisis you'll get sleepy. If you've experienced something of a terrible trauma, it'll make you sleepy sometimes. And because of deep sorrow, it wore them out too. They were asleep. But of course they were unconverted, remember, and they couldn't really share the agony he was going through. And he said unto them, Why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation." Well, now, that's a lot different from the kind of prayer a lot of us are habitually prone to try to send up to God. I have to be ashamed enough to tell you that it's happened to me, too. I have actually fallen asleep during prayer. I've been praying on my knees, had my mind wander, and found myself sound asleep there in that position. You ever do that? Did you ever pray and actually find your mind wandering to where you had to take your mind and jerk it back to what you were praying about? and ask for forgiveness because your mind had wandered? Have you ever been in the midst of prayer when the phone rang? Midst of prayer when the baby cried? Midst of prayer when a siren went by outside? All sorts of things can distract us. There are such things as sleepy time prayers, as kind of tedious, repetitive, old, familiar prayers. There are prayers that become so routine we could almost recite them in our sleep But by no means was this the kind of a prayer Jesus was urging his disciples to pray, because when he said, why do you sleep, knowing they were exhausted, and they were tired, and they were sound asleep, he is saying, rise up and pray, and pray the kind of prayer that will not allow you to go to sleep, but the kind of prayer that will keep you energized and alert, and yes, maybe even perspiring in the intensity and the agony of it. Prayer that is actually work. Now think about it in the way you might evaluate the average prayer. Is it really true that it reaches heaven? We certainly hope it does, don't we? That's our intent when we say our Father, which art in heaven. And always we're thinking heaven is up, but we're on a round earth. Is heaven in a specific place? Is there a place called heaven? Bible says there is. The Apostle Paul said very clearly in 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, that he either in the body or out of the body, was caught up under the third heaven. And he said, I cannot tell. Only one of two possibilities is possible. Either bodily, Almighty God allowed him to be caught up, and he saw and he heard these things which are not legal or legitimate or really allowed for a man to hear. That new language, for example, were to be given that no one knows or it was out of the body meaning Paul literally in the human spirit together with the Spirit of God which is the new spirit in Christ had an out-of-the-body experience to give him a little bit of a glimpse of what is called in the Bible the third heaven there's the heaven where the birds fly and the air that is the envelope of the atmosphere of this earth there is the heaven in which the stars and the planets and so on go about in their prescribed course and there is the heaven that is God's throne now since the earth is course constantly rotating and wobbling in its orbit and the moon going around it once a lunar month and the whole apparatus going around the Sun once a solar year at any given time if you're praying up heaven might be there right I mean it could be anywhere in some relationship to where you are on the earth and you don't know that now let me give you an analogy Right now, if we had a little radio, we could prove it. And I won't belabor this, because we're all now pretty much uh, up to date on things like radio communication. We know that what I'm saying is true. There are literally thousands of frequencies bombarding this room. UHF, LF, MF, VHF, very high frequencies, low frequencies, etc., all outside the band of the hearing of the human ear. And you could be having right now in your pocket a little electronic transmitter that you can go down here and buy at a gadget store that will keep mosquitoes away. You ever hear of one of those? You can buy one, it has a little tune, and mosquitoes don't like it, apparently. It's it's on some frequency that you can't hear, but if you carry it with you in the woods, I don't think deer can hear it either. I hope not. Anyway, it keeps mosquitoes away. Well, the point is that the flying through the air of waves of different frequencies is going on all the time. It never ceased to amaze me years ago when I first learned that a man inside about a 60 or 70 story office building with thick concrete and rebar can be walking along on floor number six talking to a guy on the 17th floor with a walkie talkie in his hand. When I go through a tunnel and I'm on AM radio, usually always the sound is blotted out. But somehow they've got modern methods that they can actually transmit inside of buildings, and I guess nothing really impedes the flow of that electrical current that causes a receiver to receive the flow of those waves and to translate it through a little drum that simply vibrates so that the human ear can vibrate and change that inside your inner ear into the fluid the auditory nerve and take it into your brain so that you hear a sound which is intelligible to you I tried to let people think of it as a pipeline that is their own private pipeline like years ago before electronics on ships They had real pipes, and there was a speaker tube, and it had a little lid on it to keep fluid out, and it was on the bridge. And they could take the cap off and put their mouth to it and blow in it, and it would sound like a trumpet out the other end. They'd hear a toot. And the person down in the engine room would put his ear to the other end of it, and the person up on the bridge would call for more steam. And then they would repeat their order back up through that tube, and that was before the day of voice radios and so on and telephones aboard ship and that was the way they communicated so think of prayer as that pipeline but too often a lot of us think of prayer as one-way communication one thing we do know of this we are sure in this we trust we are praying we are sending out brain waves because our brain is at work and our mouth is moving unless we're praying silently in our mind So at least our brain, our mind, is praying to God. And maybe as we're praying orally and moving our mouth, we can even be heard because we're creating sound waves that are emanating out like throwing a little rock in a little puddle in all directions, 360 degrees, to as far as that little sound wave will go, maybe inside these four walls, for an example. Is that as far as it goes? We're convinced that prayer is a one-way communication, but what about it being a two-way communication. Now, my wife has told me she's seen some things on television recently that indicate that if you happen to have one of these walkabout telephones, and I've got one, and if you're going to be having any kind of a private conversation with somebody, that practically anybody, if they just know how to do it, and I don't know how to do it, but maybe they do, can either dial a number or they can get a particular unit or they can do something and they can eavesdrop because you are walking around with a radio transmitter a battery-operated transmitter that is transmitting through the air, not just to that unit over there that you picked up off the cradle, you know, the telephone in your own room, but you're transmitting across the street and down the block. Wouldn't it be shocking if you were having a deeply personal, private conversation with somebody and you found out that several of your neighbors were listening? You know, I think some of us, perhaps, when Christ asks, when he cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? would be equally as shocked to find out God heard that prayer. Think about it. If you were to find out your neighbor overheard your telephone call, you would be shocked and chagrined. But if you really understood that Almighty God is listening, is he listening now? Was he listening when Mr. Wood Boyce was up here on the platform? Somebody says something, and we will say, you know, that reminds me of a joke I heard one time. Do you remember the one about the... Is that going to happen when Christ is here? Will somebody say something? Will Christ be on the earth, and he will say something? And you'll say, you know, that reminds me of a joke. Have you heard the one about... And then you realize who you're talking to. When the Son of Man shall come, shall he find faith on the earth? What is the impediment to prayer? Lack of faith. Lack of belief. Lack of the conscious, absolute conviction that prayer is not one way, but two-way communication. That as surely as the man on the old sailing ship blew into the tube and the engineer down below heard it and said, Yes, engine room. So when you say, Our Father in heaven, yes, I'm listening, and God at his throne, and Jesus Christ at his right hand, and the 24 elders, and great righteous archangels, and the hosts of heaven itself can actually listen to your prayer, receive it, evaluate it, know every word of it, know the feeling of heart from which it comes, understand what you want even before you articulate it, Understand more than you're able to articulate what you really need. Says he knows we have what we have need of even before we ask. And that it is two-way communication. So he said, rise and pray. They were sleeping. Lest you enter into temptation. Do we enter into temptation? Do we have problems in any given week? Let's turn to the first chapter of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah, the very first chapter, is an analogy about our nation. It's an analogy, too, about the people of Israel. He said, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the eternal has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. Verse 2 of chapter 1. The ox knows his owner, and the ass his master's crib. But Israel doth not know, my people doth not consider. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the eternal and have provoked the Holy One of Israel into anger. They are gone away backward. I won't deviate from this to give you a quick tour through our nation. It's so-called forms of entertainment and music and literature and uh, so on. You can watch any telecast on any given uh, chapter of Good Morning America or the Today Show, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. Why should you be stricken more? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot, even under the head, there is no soundness in it but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment, which is the job of God's true ministers to point out the affliction and to point out the cure, which is repentance, conversion, the receiving of God's Spirit, and learning to obey God's laws. Your country is desolate, Your cities are burned with fire, your land strangers devour it in your presence, and it is desolate as overthrown by strangers. Hear you the word of the Eternal, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear unto the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me? He says, I am full of the offerings of rams. I delight not in the blood of bullocks or lambs or of he goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this at your hand to tread my courts? Bring no more vain oblations. He says, I can't stand this. Away with it. And this is not God's holy days, by the way, but their perversion of it and their endless sacrifices. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They're a trouble unto me. I'm weary to bear them. And when you spread forth your hands, a wonderfully satisfying gesture, apparently. Some think they should make a steeple out of it. Others think they ought to stand like that as if that impresses God. I will hide mine eyes from you Yea, when you make many prayers I will not hear why what are the blockages what are the impedimenta to prayer your hands are full of blood wash you make you clean put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes cease to do evil learn to do well seek judgment relieve the oppressed Judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, says the Eternal, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Eternal has spoken it. In the 59th chapter of Isaiah, he says it isn't that God is deaf, It isn't that he cannot hear when we talk continually about the years for which we prayed for a certain thing, but there are perhaps other reasons why Almighty God does not hear certain prayers. He says in the 59th chapter, verse 1, Behold, the Eternal's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not. Here. And your hands are defiled with blood, your fingers with iniquity, your lips have spoken lies, your tongue has muttered perverseness. And then is this famous chapter that really deals with man's attempts at government today. There is no way of peace, verse eight, no judgment, verse nine. They grope for the wall like the blind, trying all of these pacts and so on, and never find the way to peace. In verse 13, in transgressing and lying against the eternal and departing away from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood and judgment is turned away backward, and justice standeth afar off. This is all very piteous when we look at this, at the state in which our nation finds itself today, and why it is that God is not hearing the prayers of the majority of us. In chapter 58, to go back a chapter, And the entire chapter deals with that concept. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness, as if they were that kind of a nation, and that forsook not the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching to God. Wherefore have we fasted, they say, and you don't see? Wherefore have we afflicted our soul, and you take no knowledge? And he answers, Behold, in the day of your fast you find pleasure, and exact all of your labors. And the fast here is used typically, as you will see in the commentaries, of all sorts of religious endeavor. You fast for strife and debate, and to smite with the fist of wickedness. You shall not fast as you do this day, to make your voice be heard on high. Is it such a fast that I have chosen? a day for a man to afflict his soul, to bow down his head as a bull rush, and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and an acceptable day to the eternal? Is not this the fast or the religious endeavor, the righteous exercise, that I have chosen to loose the bands of wickedness and to undo the heavy burdens and to let the oppressed go free and that you break every yoke? And there are all sorts of yokes. They are real or implied, they are physical or mental and they are sometimes financial and sometimes spiritual is it not to deal your bread to the hungry and that you bring the poor that are cast out to your house when you see the naked that you cover him and that you hide not yourself from your own flesh isn't that incredible so many of the letters we get are from the very elderly and nearly always they are alone and if they are not alone They're in a nursing home in one small room. I remember an elderly gentleman this past Friday, yesterday morning, and they are by themselves. Their own families don't visit them. We get letters all the time of elderly women by themselves in their 80s whose sons and daughters have nothing to do with them. Elderly men in the same situation whose own family does not care for them and does not even see them anymore that you cover or that you hide not yourself from your own flesh then shall your light break forth as the morning and your health shall spring forth speedily and your righteousness shall go before you and the glory of the eternal shall be your reward then shall you call and the eternal shall answer and you shall cry father and he will say here i am won't that be something when the answer to prayer is instantaneous wasn't it The one thing that may have given Jesus the courage to have the will to put up with it and to go through it and to put the thing over the top and to endure it when he could keep going back even after he was there on the stake and felt the strength ebbing from him and saw as if it were in his mind's eye, his own father's back leaving him alone and cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? that he could think in those dying moments on the stake of a powerful angel that said with his arm around him, it's all right, you're going to make it. What an answer to prayer. What courage. What a bolster to faith that must have been to have an angel show up, put an arm around you and say, it's all right, your prayer is being heard. You're going to make it. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away from you, or the midst of you, the yoke, the putting forth of the finger. There are some among us who are never wrong at any time, in any place, under any circumstance. We're just never wrong. We've never known, to, never known ourselves to be wrong. And we never will be wrong. We will justify ourselves to our last dying breath. The putting forth of the finger, the famous salute, you know, it's him or him or her, it's over there, over here, but it's not me, and speaking vanity. And if you draw out your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then shall your light rise in obscurity and your darkness be as the noonday. And the eternal shall guide you continually and satisfy your soul, your life in drought. And make fat your bones, and you shall be like a watered garden, and like a spring of water." Speaking here really to the whole nation, not just each individual. And they that shall be of thee shall build the old waste places, and raise up the foundations of many generations. And you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of paths to dwell in. Let's turn to 1 Peter 3 and verse 7. Can prayers be hindered? Just one thing real quickly as a comment on the family. This we used to read in the wedding ceremony where it says, breaking into the thought about Sarah who obeyed Abraham, calling him the Lord, whose daughters you are, as long as you do well. Likewise, you husbands, verse 7, dwell with them, the wife, the spouse, according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife, as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. So, an upset marriage, arguments, difficulties. Two people who were not really in accord in the loving, humble pattern that God gives of Christ toward the church as the analogy of the really ideal marriage a husband and a wife in their proper places. Today they're, you know prone to say role I don't think it's a role to me a role is a play acting we're supposed to be a role model I don't like that term it's not a role we're playing you're just supposed to be an example somehow in society they've forgotten the word example and it's always role model well a husband and a wife are not in roles they are in their appropriate place as assigned and ordained by Almighty God and if they are not their prayers can be hindered and the prayer simply does not go up to God Notice in James 5.14, the famous scripture about healing and about prayer. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, if it is a prayer of faith by faithful men, filled with faith, because faith mixed with faith is what is required, and prayer cannot be a one-way communication in the hope that some faint little static-filled sound reaches some unknown blackness of darkness in the nothingness that is space, and maybe God heard it, and maybe he didn't. It must be with the surest knowledge that you have dialed a number, and you hear your own beloved wife or a familiar voice of a loved one at the end of the other line, and you have just said, Our Father which art in heaven, and someone at the other end picks it up and says, Yes. Yes. And until we understand that prayer is two way, that he hears when we call, that he is listening, we will continue to wonder why don't we get an answer? The prayer of faith shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults, one to another now that's not one to all and maybe there's some faults you wouldn't want to confess but you know there's some faults you probably ought to get off your chest and sometimes it's good to have someone who is very very close to you praying with you about a specific problem you find you need help with and if you don't do that you're just lacking that additional strength and support that additional voice that additional widow coming to god continuously as Jesus gave us the example of the unrighteous judge. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer. You know what the word fervent means? It means fiery. It means hot. That's what fervent means. It means really intense. The effectual, fervent prayer of what? A righteous man. How many of those are there? A righteous man availeth much. Elias, Elijah, was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain because of punishments that God had pronounced on Israel. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months, the longest drought in all of recorded history. No, it isn't. There was a seven year drought earlier in Egypt, wasn't there? Perhaps a second long, it's about half that long. Three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, and one convert him, let him know that he which converts the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death, and shall hide a multitude of sins. Dare we do what is suggested here in God's Word, in what Jesus Christ commanded, when you pray you enter into a private place and you pray fervently you pray without any impediment between you and God you pray from a platform of righteousness not laden with sins from a pure heart not doubting praying knowing it is two-way communication and knowing that God is hearing and that God will answer and the only way I believe is because Almighty God says very clearly, it is not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Eternal, is that if there is even one little lady somewhere who would never have the vanity to think, I think my prayer did it. Now, Elijah's prayer did it. Elijah prayed, and it didn't rain for three and a half years. And he prayed, and the rain came. One communication that was two-way communication with God caused the breaking of the back of of a government and a nation caused a terrible drought and proved to the entire world in that nook and cranny of the world at that time who God's righteous prophet really was I know that just one person on her or his knees in fervent prayer could be literally responsible for the biggest leap forward this work has ever taken prayer with Almighty God Listening at the other end is limitless, because God's power is limitless. So when you pray, if God is really listening, what could happen? Well, Jesus Christ said, if you had enough faith, if you had enough confidence, you could say to yonder mountain, be thou removed, and it would be plucked up and cast into the sea. But if that would cause an earthquake and all of Burbank disappear, we're dealing with something else, so it was probably metaphor. But literally, all things are possible with God. And if our prayers are not blocked, if they are not hindered, if they are fervent and from a righteous source, and if God is listening at the other end, practically anything can happen. Now think what a chore it's going to be for the person who was asked to come up here for the closing prayer.